From the Edwin Cardinal O'Brien Pastoral Center in Washington, D.C., home base for the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA, this is Catholic Military Life, the only official podcast of the Archdiocese. I'm your moderator, Taylor Henry. And today it's my great pleasure to have as my guest Dr. Joseph Capizzi uh, from uh, the Catholic University of America. And our topic today is uh, St. Augustine's Theory of Just War. Dr. Capizzi, thank you so much for talking to me today. My pleasure to be here, Taylor. Thank you. So let's back up just for a moment. Uh, who was uh, St. Augustine? When did he live? And uh, why should we care about what St. Augustine had to say about just war? Uh, the, the last question is a great question. Uh, so St. Augustine is a 4th century Christian. Uh, he lived at a time when there were a great deal of changes occurring in the church. The church was going from being uh, a small persecuted sect to uh, a community that had greater political standing in the world uh, after the you know, so-called conversion of Constantine and the edict that makes Christianity the official uh, religion of the empire, of the Roman Empire, that is. And that Augustine just, that lived just... in North Africa, you may know, right? That just happened like 50 years or so before. Uh, That's right. It's very, it's very current. It's very real, right? These transitions uh, uh, from, uh, of Christianity within Christianity. And Augustine is a North African. Uh, but at that point, to be a North African is to be a member of the Roman Empire and to you know, closely identify yourself with the Roman Empire. And what modern-day country would he have been from? Yeah, I think it's Tunisia, but I'm, honestly, I'm not certain. Maybe about that. Tunisia. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, uh, and uh, how did he come to start writing about just war? Well, in a, in a way, he didn't, actually. Uh, Augustine writes, uh, as everybody knows who studies Augustine, really topically. Uh, very often he's responding to certain kinds of problems, uh, letters from friends, letters from people who are asking him questions about how to live the faith in the context of certain kinds of challenges. But then he also undertakes certain longer uh, excursions into what the Catholic faith requires, particularly, again, often identifying the faith in contrast to certain heresies that are around at the time or certain challenges to the way he sees the world. But he doesn't ever set out to write something that's going to be like, okay, now I'm going to think about the use of lethal force in the context of political uh, action or war. Instead, what he's doing is he's typically sort of trying to figure out how do Christians live in the world? And one of those questions is how do Christians act as what we might call citizens today, right? How do they understand their relationship as believers to the rest of the world? And the most famous context he does this in, for those of us who study this, is a very long work called The City of God, which he writes over uh, a decade. And during that time, you can imagine he's sort of thinking about different things differently as he approaches them, you know, more than 10 years in writing. Uh, And in that context, the city of God, he asks, well, how does a citizen of the city of God, this pilgrim who understands himself to be a member of uh, the faithful, understand his relationship to those people outside of that, that community, that is the people in the world who you know, our politicians who are soldiers and so on. And during the course of this, he starts to make a case for something that later will be understood as the just war theory. So he's got elements of this in his thought, but never a kind of systematic. 
here's the just war theory. Here's how we understand these questions. I see. So it developed over a long period of time. It does. That's right. And you may know there's also Roman roots to all this as well. So when he's thinking about this, he's already drawing on, like you would as a good citizen of Rome, Roman ideas of what it means to be a soldier and how the excuse me, the virtues of a soldier relate to the virtues of a good man and so on. And I should point out when we say just war, we're talking about moral war as opposed to immoral war, correct? That's correct. We're, what we're talking about, and that's, that's also a great question to sort of crack open, when the language of just war itself is to some extent a kind of modern conceit. Uh, it's a modern construction. But really what the Christians are asking themselves throughout most of the tradition is, can I be a soldier and involved in the activities associated with being a soldier? And that's not merely killing, which of course is critical to it, but it's also oath-taking, right? Being that kind of relationship with the state or the political uh, authorities. Can I do those things and also be a good Christian? Can I receive the sacraments after having done this? You know, right? And so on, right? These are, these are the questions that animate what develops into the just war theory over time. I see. So uh, let's uh, pull back and look at the big picture. What are the elements of just war or moral war as defined by St. Augustine, St. Right. Augustine? Right. The biggest sort of programmatic issue is, is this killing that we're now going to commit ourselves to doing le legitimate killing? Is it moral killing or is it murderous? That's the entire distinction that this tradition is trying to draw. Everybody knows that there's killing that is murderous and because it's understood as murderous a christian should never do it and sort of the easiest way to categorize that would be the intentional taking of innocent life anytime you set out to intend to kill somebody who's innocent that is murderous and a christian could not do that what the just war analysis helps us understand is sometimes there is killing that could be intentional but it is not of somebody innocent. It could be intentional and permissible killing. And in the context of war, right, you're identifying this killing here is uh, legitimate killing. It's permissible because there's the presence of a just cause, because the right authority, the authority has said this is appropriate in this context to preserve the common good, because the intentionality is right, it's ordered towards peace, and because you're making the appropriate kinds of distinctions within the practice of war itself. That's the sort of programmatic overview of what just war theory is about. How can we apply this to, say, the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki or the collateral damage resulting from drone strikes in Afghanistan or Iraq where innocents are killed? Yeah, yeah. These are, these are really difficult questions, hard questions. Uh, so, so the just war account is different from other kinds of accounts, right? According to the just war account, you can never, like I said, intend to kill innocent people if you use a weapon that you know cannot adequately distinguish between those who are legitimate targets and those who are illegitimate targets, you are then, according to this account, involved in something murderous. Okay, so when you use a kind, the kind of weapon associated with uh, Hiroshima, an atomic weapon or later nuclear weapons that are by definition indiscriminate, you are seriously you know violating a kind of fundamental prohibition of the just war account so 
some some famous Catholics got themselves uh, on the, the other side of uh, a general acceptance of the use of atomic weapons at Hiroshima when they identified that as a murderous weapon. And it, it's a tough call, right? It's a hard call because a lot of people make the argument that, look, it was necessary nonetheless. Necessary nonetheless is not the kind of argument that is associated with Catholic understanding of licit killing in the context of war. So the argument could be made that the uh, dropping of the bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki was immoral. That's right, because it was indiscriminate, because it was incapable of making that dis distinction between legitimate targets and illegitimate targets. But not just Hiroshima and Nagasaki. The firebombing of Tokyo would also fall, fall under the same kind of prohibition or condemnation from this account. And the same is true of the way the Germans were bombing uh, civilian populations in England and elsewhere and the way the British were responding. Uh, the, the Catholic account of just war, I think, would parse these things differently than a lot of people assume. Hmm. For the man and woman who serves... How do they justify orders in their mind that uh, they may question the morality of? Are there elements that St. Augustine gives us that they can plug into any order they may receive? I, I, I think they are, there are. Uh, anybody's interpretation of how to understand these things, of course, is going to be a very personal exercise. It's going to be one right that's about their conscience, as you describe. Nonetheless, Augustine tells all of us, and tradition follows him in this, it, uh, that we should emphasize intentionality, that when a Christian or anyone enters into uh, the readiness, the preparedness to take another life, they ought to understand that activity as only permissible in the very narrow circumstances where they can understand it to be essentially a kind of loving act, an act that doesn't involve treating the other as somebody to be hated, right? So he talks about the intentionality of peace, that we're, we're actually doing this ordered towards a peace that is more inclusive of that population that currently is aligned against us. We can't bear ill will. We have to do this in a way that is, as Christians, compatible with the commandment to be peacekeepers, the commandments to love even our enemy. So that's like the sort of first order of all of this is that the Christian has to order all of this in a way that's compatible with his or her faith. It can't be right now we're setting aside the faith in order to do something that is necessary. That's not the understanding of this approach at all. Now, particular orders are going to come in, in, in very constrained contexts, and every Christian you know, has to sort of face that on his or, own, or her own understanding that challenge that look this in some way has to be loving this in some way this i have to understand this is serving a peace making enterprise and if it does not appear to do that then i have right deep reasons to be suspicious of of the command that i'm that i've been given and this is one of the reasons why it's important that pastors are a part of our military right that that, that men and women who serve have access to priests and ministers to speak with about their concerns uh, about you know specific orders or activities they may have engaged in. So you say intentionality is what's important or the most important thing. It's one thing that's very important in this context. Yeah, yeah. I'm reluctant to say most or you know it's the thing. Yeah. 
<clears throat> I see. Uh, well, uh, what other elements come into play besides intentionality? Well, one thing would, again, like would be just simply distinction, right? This, this, this distinction between somebody who's a legitimate target and somebody who's not. And this is a real challenge for the military in drone-type situations, sniper situations, and so on, right? Where you, you've got an opportunity that presents itself in a certain context, and these contexts are real, where you can take out a legitimate target, but you recognize that you may have to go through somebody who's not a legitimate target in order to take out that target, right? I mean, these are real moral challenges, challenges of conscience to people. Uh, and if soldiers or others find themselves in situations where they're aiming, right, uh, at somebody who they understand to be by the laws of war, by the laws of morality, but also by international human law, uh, rights law, to be not a legitimate target, uh, that's a pretty clear case where they have to be very careful about how they act. Yeah, it almost sounds like you're drawing a utilitarian in just the, justifies the means argument there. Uh, you could if you just said, well, look, I mean, they're in the way and this target is of such value that we have to take them out. Therefore, you know, too bad, right? Um, it's unfortunate, but we'll do this anyway. But that's not the Catholic account. The Catholic account is not the Catholic account of the justice and the pursuit of justice in war is not a utilitarian account. Well, you know, you look at the history of Christianity, there are a lot of soldiers who became saints, uh, Ignatius of Loyola, Joan of Arc, right. the centurion. Right. Um, yet war seems diametrically opposed to what Christ teaches us. Yeah. So uh, how did Augustine work through these uh, mental gymnastics to come to this code that he came up with? <laughs> well... I, I don't. Th I mean, I wouldn't char characterize it as mental gymnastics um, because that suggests a kind of like playfulness in order to justify something that you recognize is a problem, right? Uh, I, I think what he did was simply follow the logic of the moral account of Christianity, which draws on philosophical roots um, in Christianity and elsewhere, and of course in the Jewish faith as well. Uh, he just drew on that moral account uh, to its logical conclusions about the way we embrace the world. The just war account is not, it's not just about what do we do in war, it's about what is our relationship with the world. So even think about punishment, right? Because this has closely been associated with Christian thinking on punishment, uh, all the way up to capital punishment. But if we leave aside capital punishment for a moment, by what right can any man impose a punishment on another human being? And that punishment being incarceration, uh, possibly some form of physical, uh, you know, uh, corporal punishment like you might do with a, or has been done in the past with children uh, or with people, you know, adults who are imprisoned, right? By what right? It's a difficult question to ask, uh, but the Christian account of war is very, the framework is very similar to this. Only if that person has done something wrong. Do, do we begin at that point to think about the, the ways in which we respond to those people, right? So there's a just cause, right? They did something wrong. Then who determines this? Who makes the judgment for this? Those in authority, those who have responsibility for the good of the community in which this thing occurred, right? So just even think of a family. 
Typically, a parent has the responsibility for determining whether some member of the family has done something that fractures right, the relationship of this community. And when the parent says authoritatively, you son, you daughter, you know, I, uh, as the parent, have done something that fractures this, right? A judgment is made that permits a certain pattern of uh, behavior that we typically refer to as punishment, right? It has a kind of backwards-looking element, what happened, mm -hmm. forwards-looking, how are we going to repair our community now? Retribution. Retribution, reparation, et cetera, right? Something, ne something is necessary for us to repair this community. I have to acknowledge the wrong I did in a way that shows the rest of the members of the community its gravity, uh, the way I repair myself and hopefully repair you know, the rest of us. And that idea is essentially the animating idea of the just war ethic as well. Something has happened that has ruptured a community here or threatens a community. And now a, the political authority, those in authority, make a judgment about it and set out a path to reparation. How influential is Augustine's just war theory in modern day thinking about the ethics of warfare? That's a great question. Uh, Within Christian circles, uh, it, it's very influential. But Christianity is not the only context in which just war analysis occurs or just war thinking occurs. There's probably like three, at least three bodies where just war stuff is thought about. One would be the sort of Christian philosophical community. Another would be the community of international law. And then a a third would be the, the philosophical community uh, more widely, um, and in particular analytic philosophy in the Anglo-American world. It's really sort of blossomed. Christianity, of course, that the, the first of those is really influenced by Augustine's thought. The second of those and the third of those are much less influenced by it, but arguably, and I'd be one of those who would make this argument, their roots really stretch back into the Christian tradition. It's only in what you call like sort of the early modern, late medieval period that you get a kind of departure of just war theory from a kind of Christian account. This is with Grotius and the development of international law. And we're it's, talking about a thousand years after Augustine. You're talking about a thousand years after Augustine. This, the Augustinian tradition stretches through the canon law tradition in the church and it of course influences the Thomistic right, uh, interpretation of all, you know, the interpretation of St. Thomas and his followers up through people like Suarez and Francisco Vittoria uh, and Robert Bellarmine and other Catholic thinkers in the late medieval, early modern period. The, the early modern period, it, it really begins to splinter and break off as the Protestant Reformation, uh, which is also influenced, of course, by St. Augustine's theology and his thinking on war, carries this forward into uh, the modern world and its development into in international law. So I would argue that a lot of the roots of even those second two categories, the uh, international law one and then the sort of broader secular philosophical one, they are, in fact, influenced by the Augustinian approach to this. So where do we stand now in current modern-day thinking about um, just war? You say that uh, Augustine has had some influence that carried over. Right. Um, nowadays, when we look at uh, 
warfare. We look back on Vietnam. A lot of folks think we had no business in Vietnam. Right. Uh, right. The uh, the invasion of Iraq in 2003 was that justified? Right. How do we uh, apply these concepts to modern day decision making at the policy level? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Another great and difficult question. <laughs> There's a lot. There's a lot of different ways to answer that question. Uh, one would be to see that uh, to see the deep influence of just war thinking in even modern, secular, pragmatic policy approaches. That language affects everything from the way uh, the weapons that are developed, the way those weapons are understood to be used to public condemnations of what, you know, why we were in Iraq, uh, Iraq or why we were in Vietnam and so on. You know, they're, they're mounting sort of like just cause type arguments. Do we have cause that brings us into these things? Are we the appropriate authority? And so on. So the language is really powerful and it's, and it's ubiquitous. It's really everywhere uh, in these accounts. But none of that, however, sort of, I, I think saturates the most important aspects of this, which is about, again, like the intentionality. To what extent are we committing ourselves by the activities we're embracing to, to peace, right? To a, a peace that understands the world, although confrontational and agonistic, we would say in theology, right? Should not be this way. Right, it's not how God intended the world to be. It's it's a it's a kind of fundamental violation of our common humanity, to which we're all called. Instead, all of our activity, activity in war, activity in politics, much more generally, should be an activity that is expanding its, the inclusiveness of the human community, that is getting over these sort of accidental ways that we divide ourselves from each other. And even the activity of war should have that as its goal, right? See the other as another human being who's potentially in community with you, not somebody to kill or to defeat, even if you're not killing them, militarily or diplomatically and so on. What about Islam? Do they, do the Muslims have their own theories of just war? Is it any different from the Augustinian theory? Yeah, look, uh, that's a uh, that's a challenge. That's a that's a pointed question. Uh, before nine eleven, uh, there was a lot of activity among Christians and Jews and uh, Muslims and others about the sort of ecumenical or interreligious understandings of the usefulness of war, uh, and there are some obvious uh, theoretic agreements, at least among certain different interpretations of Islam and Christianity about, for instance, the, via, uh, the inviolability of killing innocents. We know, however, the, at the minimum, the practice is different. Uh, and the embrace of the practice of killing uh, innocents um, or you know, non-believers and so on uh, by some Muslims uh, has been a challenge to that dialogue the di- but this is this is the nature of any uh, any thinking about issues, right? Is you have a kind of theoretical conversation, and generally speaking, the theoretical conversation will see overlap and agreement that often is betrayed by the practices of those who claim to be adherents to those theoretical ideas. Uh, 
you know, Christians have justified in the past the killing of innocent people, and one imagines that those who call themselves Christians will do that in the future, uh, and they'll do it in artful ways, you know, as you suggested suggested earlier. I'm not an expert, however, in Islam. I, I studied with a, a Muslim teacher when I was an undergraduate, and this was a, a real concern of his was um, Islam's understanding of war, of, uh, of jihad. Uh, but but he's a Muslim living in the West, and, and his ideas, I don't know how influential they, they really are. It really is hard to understand from an Augustinian point of view how you could justify flying planes into the Twin Towers and killing innocents. This was not a military target. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's, that's one of the things that's important about this approach for Christians as well, right? Intentionality, I've used the language of intentionality a lot here, right? And so, so often what we'll think of is, well, what's happening in my brain as I'm doing whatever it is I'm doing, right? And when I, if, I, if I spank my child, right, am I intending, you know, good punishment, or am I intending to hurt my child, you know, or am I intending to abuse my child, right? Uh, and none of us, I think, wants to say, well, what, the only thing that matters is what's happening in your mind, right? Because if I'm really wailing into my child and you walk into the room, Taylor, and you're like, you know, Jill, that's not punishment, that's abuse, right? And I say, well, you know, I, I'm just punishing him. You're going to say, look, you know, punishment stopped 20 minutes ago or something, right? This is not merely about, intentionality is not merely about what happens in my mind. It's also, we can look at things and say, no, I don't care what you think was happening in your mind. This is a violation of the prohibition on hurting innocence. This is a violation of punishment, and you've begun to abuse. So when you see planes filled with innocent people flying into buildings filled with innocent people, you know, I think we're all right to say that's not a legitimate act of war. And what I hear you saying is you're underscoring that it's not all subjective. Not at all. Not at all. That's right. This this account is not a subjectivist account. <clears throat> so the last uh, couple of minutes we have left, uh, the, the, that man and woman who is serving the enlistee, uh, they're given orders that they question the morality about. What should they do? At what point should they board that bus for Canada as they did in Vietnam? Yeah, that's clearly you know a personal question, and and the individuals decide the, the, that themselves. But the army, the army, the military depends upon soldiers following orders. As uh, one uh, international lawyer writes, the army does not train its soldiers in disobeying orders. It trains them how to follow orders, and and the Catholic account recognizes that that. Uh, I mean, this is not surprising to anybody who's Catholic, right? That there, we are a hierarchical, hierarchical institution and we understand um, the value of authority and those in legitimate authority. So the orders should have a kind of gravity to them that inclines the soldier to follow them, to, to accept them as the orders of people in good faith and who understand the situation rightly and are not, and are not asking of the soldier something that's illegal or immoral. So they should bear that kind of gravity, and the soldier's doubt about that has a burden to bear. It, right? Doubt is not enough, and this is a, this is old in the Catholic account about doubt. That just my doubt does not excuse me from following this order. I have to pursue that doubt, and I have to make sure that I am in fact right. 
before I am able to disobey an order from a priest, from a, a, a commander, from a parent. Dr. Joseph Capizzi, professor of theology at Catholic University of America, thank you so much for stopping in to talk to me today about this important topic that we could talk for hours about, but we're limited. So again, thank you so much for coming by. My pleasure, Taylor. A lot of fun.